Welcome to the second of three parts of this roundtable discussion with the faculty of the Educational Initiative, Management of Hyponatremia in Hospitalized Patients, Role of Pharmacists in Improving Patient Care. These podcasts were produced by ASHP Advantage and supported by an educational grant from Otsuka America Pharmaceutical Incorporated. Joseph Dasta is chair of the initiative, and he is the moderator of this discussion. And he is joined by Michael Cowley and Henry Cohen. So let's switch gears a bit and talk about issues related to treatment options for hyponatremia. Traditionally, the condition is thought to mean simply not enough salt, and the management is giving salt. So Mike, can you give boluses of hypertonic saline, for example, for the treatment of hyponatremia, especially when the condition is severe, like serum sodium concentrations less than 120 milliequivalents per liter? Joe, yes, actually you can. Uh, There's a a plethora of data that's out there in regards to looking at boluses of hypertonic saline. And although there's different concentrations, different rates, uh, different infusion times, one of the problems is that there's not a, a clinical acceptance of what should be the standard of care. But what I've seen throughout the literature is there's two primary treatments that have been probably risen to the top in regards to how boluses of hypertonic saline should be given. 3% 3% saline has been the, uh, the major hypertonic solution of choice. And why that is is because 5% sometimes can get mixed up with 5% dextrose. So 3% saline is usually the drug of first choice in regards to a hypertonic saline solution. Now, what the majority of the literature has proposed that you could either give 100 mLs or 250 mLs. Now, there's literature that talks about giving that 100 mLs or 250 mLs over 10 minutes, and some literature goes up to 30 minutes. But traditionally, if you give somebody 3% of 100 mLs of hypertonic saline, it should raise your serum sodium by about 2 milliequivalents. If you give somebody approximately 250 mLs of 3% saline, it should raise your serum sodium by about 4 milliequivalents. So there is a lot of data out there. It's, it's traditionally used uh, for patients who have uh, hyponatremic encephalopathy. As we mentioned before, as Dr. Cohen mentioned, some of the neurological sequelae that are very, very severe, patients that are obtundent and so forth, the drug has been very effective. It's also been proposed in marathon runners. A lot of marathon runners can come down with severe hyponatremia. The data suggests of giving them 100 or 250 mLs of that 3% solution to try to raise their serum sodium by 4. And what that'll do is that'll decrease intracranial pressure from swelling. Uh, One other thing I'd like to elaborate on a little bit is the general guidelines for the management of hyponatremia. Do you mind if I mention that, Joe? Perfect thing to talk about. Okay, thank you. When we talk about the different stages, uh, talking about the guidelines for hyponatremia, there's relatively three strategies that we want to use. The first strategy is for patients in regards to their neurological status. If patients have minimal to no neurological sequelae, maybe a little dizzy, a little lightheaded, we can be very, very, I guess, cautious in regards to treatment. And what we can do is just use fluid restriction. Fluid restriction is very, very effective, but it's very slow. It'll raise your serum sodium maybe 1 to 2 milliequivalents per liter per day, so that's a little bit slow. So for those patients, for that minimal intervention, fluid restriction is very effective. When we go to the moderate uh, situations where patients uh, serum sodium, um, when they're alert and oriented times maybe one or two or they have confusion or an altered mental status change, we have to be a little bit more aggressive in regards to their treatment. So what is recommended is 3% hypertonic saline plus or minus loop diuretic, or you can use a vasopressin receptor antagonist followed by fluid restriction. That's usually for the moderate type. 
The last type is the severe hyponatremia, where we have serum sodium levels of less than 120 milliequivalents per liter, or the patient is showing signs of seizures, they're being uptunded, or major neurological sequelae, where you still want to be aggressive at treatment. So again, we would propose 3% hypertonic saline, plus or minus loop diuretic, or you could use a phasopressin receptor antagonist, plus or minus fluid restriction. Those are the three general categories and the general treatment regimens uh, for all three. And it would seem to me, and I'd appreciate your insight on this, as to in the hospitalized patient who's uh, severely symptomatic that receives 3% sodium chloride, it would be important to frequently monitor their serum sodium concentration. Would, would you recommend that? Absolutely. That's a paramount issue. The issue of it is, is if a patient is receiving hypertonic saline as a continuous infusion, and even as a bolus, if people decided to do that for an immediate situation, you want to make sure you monitor the serum sodium at least every two hours. The way we've done it at our institution, actually we've looked at the literature, is what's recommended is every two to three hours for the first 12 to 24 hours to make sure that you're going in the right direction and maintaining or improving, I should say, the neurological sequelae of the patient. Well, the idea of fluid restriction would require a physician's order that would say something like limit fluid intake to 800 mLs a day or 1,000 mLs a day. I think a question for pharmacy to think about is how do they get involved with that? And oftentimes it will consist of a phone call by the nurse to the, the central pharmacy and ask to concentrate drugs. And, and I wonder how relevant that is and how, how many challenges that provides to both the pharmacist and the nurse, particularly in the intensive care unit. Uh, Dr. Cohn, that's your area of practice. Could you comment on that? Sure. Joe, that can be a real problem in the intensive care unit. You know, you think of your typical patient in an ICU often is going to be on 10 different medications. And when you start to look at every drug, they're often in a continuous infusion and being mixed with, uh, with fluid. So a typical patient may clearly be on three antimicrobial agents. They might be on multiple agents for sedation and for pain. They might be on stress ulcer prophylaxis and a parenteral proton pump inhibitor or actually have a, a bleed and be on continuous infusion. And when you start to add up the total fluid volume of all of these drugs when mixed by the pharmacy, you can find yourself easily with a couple of liters of fluid. So clearly the challenges would be to switch these medications when possible to the most concentrated solution. If possible, give some of these medications intravenous push. But these are challenges that certainly affect the critical care pharmacist and, and, and the nursing team. Oh, Dr. Cohen, I was wondering if I could follow up on that. I, I have to agree. I guess one of the issues that I see that is missed a lot of times is in the intensive care unit looking at the inputs and outputs of the patient. Over 24 hours, what can simply happen is sometimes we don't really keep a close eye on that. And what could happen is a patient's input could greatly exceed their output in, in no time at all. And that's where you could really get into problems, and that's exactly what could happen, as you mentioned, about all those different fluids, the TPNs, the antibiotics, and so forth. I couldn't agree more. It's a great opportunity for enhanced pharmacist-nurse communication. Well, Dr. Colley, you have talked about the vasopressin receptor antagonists, two that are commercially available, conivaptan IV, tolvaptan orally. Can conivaptan be administered over 30 minutes as a once-daily dosing instead of what's in the uh, product labeling of as a continuous infusion over four days. Yeah, that's an actually a really important point. Uh, it's interesting because, as we know, conivaptan is a continuous infusion, and 
Unfortunately, although the drug is FDA approved for the continuous infusion, one of the problems is that it holds up an IV line all the time. It holds up an IV pump, uh, and it's, it's, it's occupied with that drug. And one of the problems is a lot of times nurses may ask, uh, is there a potential drug interaction with this drug I want to give in the same line as Conovaptin? And there's minimal data that's out there. Uh, so that is always a concern. So actually there was a published paper uh, by Corin et al. that was actually published in the American Journal of Health Systems Pharmacist actually this year. And it was a very interesting paper where they talked about using Conovaptan 20 milligrams IV uh, over 30 minutes uh, once a day, and also they gave it twice a day, and they compared it to placebo. And they wanted to look at outcomes over four days. And it was kind of interesting, uh, giving Conovaptan 20 milligrams IV over 30 minutes once a day raised the patient's serum sodium by just over 3 milliequivalents in just uh, over four days. Uh, On the other hand, when they gave 30 milligrams over 30-minute infusion, or 20 milligrams over um, a 30-minute infusion twice a day, the serum sodium just raised over 6 milliequivalents. So I think it's a very fascinating uh, aspect that we need to research. And as as you know, uh, you know, uh, we talked about before that conovaptan is, is FDA-approved as a continuous infusion. And although the 30-minute infusion is not FDA-approved, it really gives a new uh, distinction of possibility of more research uh, to be looking at for 30-minute infusion. So in this study, it was very, very effective. This concludes this part of the roundtable discussion. If you'd like to hear more about managing hyponatremia in hospitalized patients, please listen to the other two parts of this podcast series. In addition, a web-based continuing pharmacy education activity based on the Mid-Year Symposium will be available in February 2012. To access this activity and other educational opportunities on this topic, visit the web portal at www.ashpadvantage.com forward slash hyponatremia.